from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, Pardes alum. This week, Vayeshev. This podcast episode is sponsored by Pardes alumna of 2017, Rabbi Lisa Malik, PhD, and by Professor Adi Weiner, PhD, in memory of Lisa's beloved father, David Malik, Zichono Livracha, on the occasion of Shloshim. David Malik died on the 21st of Cheshvan, 5780, November 19th, 2019. May his memory be for a blessing. This podcast episode on Vayeshev is by Rabbi Alex Israel. A study guide is available for use with the podcast. You're invited to download it. Rabbi Alex Israel is a member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Rabbi Alex Israel. Thank you, Larry. This week, we are going to address Parshat Vayeshev, and we're going to talk about themes of tranquility, calm on the one hand, and turbulence and progress on the other. But our portal, our window into this particular topic, which is also going to address uh, some of the themes in the life of Yaakov, in the life of Jacob, and um, ideas which pertain to every single one of us. Our window is going to be the opening lines of this week's parsha where we see what seems like a double introduction. Let me explain. Vayeshev begins in the following way. Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Mgurei Aviv Be'eretz Kanan. Yaakov settled in the land of his father's wandering, in the land of Canaan. Eile toldot Yaakov. These are the generations of Jacob. Yosef ben Shavai Sreshana. Joseph was a 17-year-old. Um, was 17. Hayaroet Echav Batson. He uh, would shepherd with his brothers, and we start with the whole Joseph story. The first verse, Vayeshev Yaakov Beres Mugurei Aviv Beres Canaan, and Jacob settled in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan, and then Eiletol Dot Yaakov. Why this double introduction? Let me stress, we have Eiletol Dot Yaakov, but earlier on we had Parshat Toldot, which was Eiletol Dot Yitzchak Ben Avraham. That's the way to start a Parsha, or... How about Parshat Noach? Eile toldot Noach. We have at least another two Parshiot which begin Eile toldot and then the name of a person and many other subunits which also begin Eile toldot of a person. So what is this introduction before we say these are the generations or these are the offspring of Jacob? These are the stories of the children of Jacob and we open up the Joseph story. Why do we begin with this line? And Jacob dwelled in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. What does it add to us? What is it trying to tell us? The Rashbam and the Ramban both suggest that this is on the backdrop of the previous chapter. Uh, let me explain. First I'll read the commentary and then we'll explain. The Rashbam says, Esau, Esau went to another land because of Jacob. But Jacob lived with his father in the land of his wandering because he was the one who had the status of firstborn. And now I'll read Nachmanides, the Ramban. The officers of Esau lived in the land which they had taken to be their eternal settlement. But Jacob a preferred dwelling in the Holy Land even as a foreigner, to living abroad. This was the fulfilment of the decree 
that Avram's descendants would be Ger foreigners in a land which wasn't theirs. And this was not true about Esau, only Yaakov, because he was the one who was the offspring, the official offspring of Abraham. What are these commentators relating to and why are they contrasting um, Jacob with Esau? Well, I think you have to understand this in context. We're in chapter 37 and that's where Vayeshev begins. But if you look back over chapter 36, we have an entire chapter which is 43 verses which gives all the numerous descendants of Esau. And there we read that Esau, uh, Esav, left the land, he took his wives and his children, and they went to set and everything that he owned, and they went to settle in Harseir, which is the land the land of Edom. Edom, by the way, is a is an actual kingdom, um, which sort of is in today's Jordan, um, and was one of the neighbors of ancient Israel. And Esau is seen as the person, the individual, the force. His, after all, Esau's other name is Edom, who set up this particular kingdom. And if you look there, it says, and I'll read the, li- the line, Vayeshev Esau Bahar Seir, Esau Edom. Esau dwelt in Har Seir, in the Mount of Seir. Esau is Edom. The Eiletol dot Esau. When you read that verse, it's in chapter 36, verse 8 and 9, it matches perfect, perfectly the opening lines of our Parsha. And Esau dwelt in the land of Seir alike, and Jacob lived in the land of his father's wandering. And then, this is the offspring of Esau. In other words, the commentators are suggesting a parallel but here they're going to argue a contrasting parallel, a contrasting parallel between Esau and Jacob. Esau decided to settle outside the land. Jacob decided that he would live nowhere else other than in the land, and this is a reflection of his covenantal status. The Ramban goes a stage further, because he is going to be dealing with, and we will be dealing with, the difference between two different words in the opening line. Vayeshev, lashevet, means to dwell, to dwell permanently. Lagur means to wander, like as a ger, a stranger, somebody who is foreign, a foreigner. So if it says, Vayeshev Yaakov, Yaakov dwelt in the land of his father's wanderings, it's indicating that Whereas Esau was able to make Edom into his homeland, Esau was able to take over the mountains and hills of Edom and establish himself with a state of permanence. At this stage of our history, the Jewish people are still considered to be strangers in the land. They don't own any real estate. They don't belong here. There are other tribes in the land and that Jacob prefers to be in the Holy Land, in the Covenantal Land, with the status of a stranger, with the status, with the impermanence and the transience of being here, as long as he remains within the Covenant. And 
This is what the Ramban suggests, the contrast between Esav and Yaakov. In this regard, the opening line of the parsha, Vayeshev Yaakov, Be'eretz Megurei Aviv, that Yaakov dwelt in the land of his father's wandering, is an accolade to, um, to Jacob. It is, if you want, the postscript to chapter 36, where we see Esau settling down in his homeland, and Yaakov is still marching through history as one of the patriarchs, still unsettled, still becoming, still um, in a process of formation. However, he is the covenantal son, as opposed to Esau. And all this is fine until we read a Midrash, which is brought by Rashi in um, the opening section of our Parsha. And Rashi says the following, Yaakov wished to dwell in calm and tranquility. The Literally the rage, if not we'll say the distress, the trouble of Yosef, of the Joseph's sale, pounced upon him. God said to him, Tzadikim want a peaceful life. Tzadikim vakshim leishev b'shalva. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu lo dayana tzadikim mashetukun lehem lo lamaba. Is it not enough the rest that the righteous will get in the next world? Elohim shem vakshim leishev b'shalva ba'olam azeh. And they still want calm in this world? What's happening here? Rashi and the Midrash, which he's quoting from Bereshit Rabbah, are saying the following. Vayeshev Yaakov. Yaakov wanted to dwell. He wanted to settle down. Be'eretz Mugure Aviv. In the place where his father had only been transient. What's the next line? Ele Tuldot Yaakov. This is the story of Yaakov, Yosef. Why does the Joseph sale happen in this family? Because Jacob sinned. Jacob wanted to sort of relax in the course of history. He had wanted enough. He had had to contest with his brother in his youth. Then he was sent to Lavan and had to contest with Lavan. He comes back and once again he has to fight um, with with Esav. Later on he has the whole distress with, 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 with the rape of Dina. And now you'd think Yaakov has a lovely family. He can sit in calm. The Midrash says that's exactly his problem. In this world, Sadiqim want a peaceful life. They'll get a peaceful life. They'll relax in the world to come, not in this world. This is a very disturbing Midrash. Because if we're going to take the message of this Midrash at face value, then what's being demanded of the righteous is to expel all aspirations of personal calm, of a life of harmony. And it's setting forth a, a a path of torment, self-denial. Is this really what we expect of our avots, of our patriarchs and matriarchs? Now, as I said, this is based somewhat in the in the text of, of Vayeshev itself. But it's fascinating that when we get to the end of the uh, Joseph story, when Joseph is and, and, and Jacob are reunited in Egypt, in chapter 47... Jacob comes down to spend some time with his son and he's introduced to Pharaoh himself, to the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to him, how old are you? And Yaakov says to him, Vayome Yaakov el Pharaoh, 
Yemei Shnei Megurai. The days of my sojourning are 130 years. They were few and horrible. Ma'at v'ra'im. They were few and miserable were my days. V'lo histigu et avotai And I did not come up to the lifespans of my fathers during their life. And he used the words Megurehem. Towards the end of his life, Yaakov realizes that his life indeed has been a life of sojourning. He never had a settled life. He refers to his life as Yemei Shnei Megurai. I was always sojourning. I was never Yeshiva. I never was able to settle down. I never had tranquility and peace. And in fact, the Midrash, which is the source of this whole thing, goes even further and quotes from the book of Job, the classic book of suffering. And the Midrash says, I had no quiet, no rest, and trouble came. That's the quote from Job. I had no repose from Esau, no quiet from Lavan, no rest because of Dina. And trouble came? That was the trouble of Yosef. In this way, Yaakov is recast as Eov, as Job, the long-suffering servant. Um, and Yaakov is portrayed as endlessly afflicted by suffering, yearning for some sort of respite, but never receiving it. And we might really feel after we reach this Midrash that Yaakov does deserve some rest. So let us return to this contrast between yeshiva, dwelling, as opposed to megurim, wandering, the notion of transience. We should note that, is this a bad thing or a good thing? The notion of constantly being in transit, the notion of constantly wandering. It is fascinating. The verb lagor indicating wandering and transience is used, is used for all the avot. With Avraham at, the, at his Brit Milah, he talks about giving him Eretz Mugurecha, the land of your wanderings. And in fact, uh, Avram describes himself as Ger v'toshav imahem. I am a, a stranger. I'm a wanderer. Likewise, Yitzchak is told to stay in the land, but Gor ba'aretz azot. Wander in this land, gore, means to live, but it also means to wander. And in fact, we're always finding the avot in transit. They are always uh, one minute in Grar, and then in Beersheva, and then in uh, Hebron, and in other places of of the country. Um, this Midrash draws our attention to the unsettled, portable dimension of the man of faith. And interestingly, this is something we find beyond just the avot. Uh, we have in Breshit certain Sadikim. So, for example, we're told in Breshit chapter 5 about one of the, uh, somebody called Chanoch, Enoch. Chanoch walked with God. And then he wasn't there because God took him. And our implication is that he was such a Sadik that God took him. Chanoch walked with God. How about Noach? Noach is Sadik. Noach was a righteous man, perfect in his generation. Eta Elohim hitalech Noach. Noach is always walking with God. Abraham too. God says, hitalech lefanai v'heyet tamim. Walk before me and be perfect. 
Of course, Abraham is told, Lechacha, go forth. Lechacha Eleretz HaMoriah, go to the land of Moriah. And it's the Sfatemet, the famous Gera Rebbe, who says that Ha'adam Nikra Mahalech. Man is defined, humankind is defined by its walking. And humans must always be moving, level by level, upwards. He says, one must always aim to extract oneself from habit, from the state of the normal. And even if you've reached a certain level of divine service, of religious intensity and practice, this also becomes second nature after a time and becomes the norm. Therefore, one must always renew one's soul and renew one's religious direction. In other words, sojourning as opposed to sitting, Lagur, as opposed to Lashevet, is walking, mobility, progress, growth. The settled life is a life of compromise, complacency, spiritual paralysis, stagnation. Routine is the nemesis of the individual who is to be constantly infused by progress, self-examination, and self-improvement. Personal comforts and the obsession with secure surroundings can really hinder free-spirited searching for God. And if that's the case, so this Midrash is advocating um, this sense of fluidity, which is represented by the untethered shepherd who is Ger Ba'aretz. He is wandering in the land. He's not tied down neither to real estate nor to no particular locale. Wherever he lays his hat, that's his home, he can be in a constant state of movement. Rabbi Soloveitchik, um, in a celebrated footnote in his book, Halachic Man, writes about the, writes against the attitude that he hears about in the world that, and I quote, that the religious experience is of a very simple nature. In other words, devoid of the spiritual tortuousness present in the secular cultural consciousness, of psychic upheavals and of pangs and torments that are inextricably connected with the development and refinement of man's spiritual personality. This popular ideology contends that the religious experience is tranquil, neatly ordered, tender and delicate. It is an enchanted stream for bitter souls and still waters for troubled spirits. End of quote. Rasolovitchik says that many people look to religion for a state of calm, for a state of, um, settle, you know, a state that religion will make everything okay. There won't be any questions if you're religious. You'll have a good life. He says, and I quote, This ideology is intrinsically false and deceptive. The religious consciousness in man's experience which is most profound and elevated, which penetrates to the very depths and ascends to the very heights, is not that simple or comfortable. On the contrary, it is exceptionally complex, rigorous, and tortuous. Where you find complexity, there you find its greatness. The religious experience from beginning to end is antinomic and antithetic. It is a condition of spiritual crisis, of psychic ascent and descent, of contradiction arising from affirmation and negation, self-abnegation and self-appreciation. Religion is not at the outset a refuge of grace and mercy 
for the despondent, de- desperate, and enchanted stream for crushed spirits, but a raging, clamorous torrent of man's consciousness with all its crises, pangs, and torments. End of quote. In other words, what Soloveitchik is saying is that sometimes religion deepens the problems. It doesn't calm the problems. It heightens our sensitivities and our pain. It doesn't always create a calm, tranquil environment. And here again I come back to this amazing Midrash which says, Vayeshev Yaakov be'eretz mugurei aviv eletoldot Yaakov Yosef. Yaakov tried to settle in the place that his father had been a wanderer. His father had been transient. And what came upon him? Another set of troubles, as if to say that God is saying that in this world we don't really get a chance to rest, or at least a tzaddik doesn't get a chance to rest. Um, There always has to be progress. Now, this philosophy is troubling because maybe that's why I'm attracted to it. It's, It's this notion of demanding that we're always moving and growing, that stagnation is the enemy. But I think in our 21st century, where we value harmony and we value being in a state of ease and trying to be at one with ourselves, the notion of a war against complacency and an ideology of incessant striving is very unusual. It's difficult emotionally as well. I think we want to feel that we've reached our goal, that we've found our destination, and we can be in a state of rest. Um... But at some level, maybe what this Midrash is saying is that the truly religious soul is indeed the restless soul, always striving, reaching higher and higher. And I guess what I'll do since we're approaching Hanukkah is end off with one idea back to the Gera Rebbe, the Sfat Emet, in connection with Hanukkah, because there's uh, the, the, the Gemara in Shabbat says that you light the Hanukkah candles, Misha Tishka HaChama, from when the sun sets, until the marketplace is empty. But the phrase used is, till the, the foot leaves the marketplace. A straightforward halachic reading of this statement tells us that you light candles from nightfall, and uh, as long as there are people passing by, you can still light the Hanukkah lights. And indeed, that's the halacha. But the Sfat creates a lovely Midrash and he says, not until the feet have left the marketplace, but, and he changes the vowels and says, not but not the passers-by, but our habitual, routine behaviours. In other words, Hanukkah is about renewal. Hanukkah is about lighting one light on the first night and two and three and four, it's the notion of a constantly growing. And he says the, the enemy of true religion is routine. We like from when the sun sets, from when we're feeling down, from when the sun sets, when the inspiration is gone, until we expunge routine so that we can always be growing, we can always be reaching higher um, and rejuvenating our spiritual lives. So as we approach Hanukkah, that is indeed... My blessing to all of you that we learn how to rejuvenate our spiritual lives, to constantly fight the drudgery of routine and be allowing the lights to increase. 
Shabbat Shalom, and Chanukah Sameach. Thank you, Rabbi Israel. And thank you also to Rabbi Malik and Professor Weiner for sponsoring this week's podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.